In Black and White is brought to you by subscribers of The Herald Sun. Our subscribers get access to the full Herald Sun website, including companion articles and photographs to this podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, click on heraldsun.com.au forward slash I-B-A-W to go to the new In Black and White page and click on any article to begin. Jim Whelan and his um, family had a remarkable effect on this town, whether you like it or not. He was a bloke barely able to write his own name who in the middle of a depression was going extremely well. He was successful because of the way he operated, the way he demolished things and the way he treated his workers. He made sure that they all survived through the 1930s depression well. I'm Jen Kelly and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Today we begin a new four-part series with Chris Adams, who is co-author, along with Helen Goltz, of the Grave Tales series of books. Our first tale is from the soon-to-be-released Grave Tales Melbourne book about a man whose name is familiar to many older Victorians, and that's Whelan the Wrecker. Melburnians felt a range of different sentiments whenever they saw that famous sign reading, Whelan the Wrecker is here. That sign meant the building was soon to be demolished. And for some Melburnians, Whelan the Wrecker was seen to be destroying our heritage and the charm of what was known as the marvellous Melbourne era. But for others, Whelan the Wrecker was helping make way for a more modern and livable city. Whelan was responsible for removing some of our most recognisable landmarks, including the original 1934 neon Skipping Girl sign, known as Little Audrey, which has since been replaced with a replica erected in 1970. Now Chris Adams is here to tell us more. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris. Thanks, Jen. Terrific to be here. Now, in this first one of our four-part series on your Grave Tales stories, I'd love you to explain what the Grave Tales series of books are and what makes them different from other history books. Well, what they are, I guess, is snapshots of what our country has been like over the years through the eyes of people who might not be particularly well-known. Some of them are. A lot of them are, uh, are people that you've never heard of. And so it's a, it's a different way to capture our history, our heritage, if you like, the stories that we all should know, told by starting each story at a grave. And so we start with the grave and expand the story from there. And have you literally just walked around cemeteries all around Australia to find some of these stories and some of these gravestones? We started doing that. That's a very, very long task, let me tell you, because very few gravestones have much detail on them. So we started doing that and found it extraordinarily time-consuming. So what we do now is we come up with the story, the thing that we think we want to impart from the yarn, and then find the person who can tell us that, if you like. Mm. And I'm very excited that the Melbourne version of Grave Tales is coming out very soon. How many books are there so far in the series? Uh, We have six, um, and this will be number seven, the Melbourne book, which should be out, uh, we hope, in, uh, in May 2020. Wonderful. So we're talking today about a name that will be familiar to, to many older Melburnians. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think that's true. There was It's certainly something that was strong from my childhood, which was a while ago now. And that, of course, is that sign that we would see around Melbourne that said, uh, Wheel and the Wrecker is here. It 
generated a whole raft of different sentiments in people. Some people thought it meant that the area was uh, progressing, that it was going to be modernised. Others thought it was the loss of our heritage because some of the buildings that went, and they ranged from cottages to skyscrapers, were important in terms of what had happened there, what they were part of in terms of the growth of this town. So Will and the Wrecker was probably one of the best known brand names in Melbourne's history really, wasn't it? I think that's true, yeah. Uh, certainly um, everybody knew what it meant. So in terms of a, of a promotional and advertising aspect of his business, it worked. What did Will and the Wrecker knock down? Was it hundreds of buildings, thousands of buildings over time? Yeah, it was. So by the time he died in 1938, they reckoned that 95% of the buildings that had been pulled down in the CBD had been done by his company. So who, who was the original Wheel and the Wrecker and where does his story begin? The original Wheel and the Wrecker was a fellow called Jim Whelan and he came from uh, up Storeway, grew up in the shadows, if you like, of the Grampians. And uh, he came to Melbourne and really arrived at a time when he was able to capitalise on uh, on the boom that had happened of the 1880s. I mean, the, the, the gold rush, again, is central, I suppose, to this story in the sense that it provided so much wealth that, the, that, that country towns uh, like Bendigo and Ballarat and those places really boomed, but so did Melbourne because it got the offshoot um, of all that happening. And so uh, when that happened from the 1850s onwards, there was a building boom in the 1880s to be able to handle all the people who had come to this part of the world. That had a reverse effect in a sense, and in the, in the 1890s, there was something of a depression underway. Everything was winding back. Jim came to Melbourne, Jim Whelan, James Whelan, came to Melbourne when he was 20, and he worked as a horse and cart driver, carting timber around the place for the 1880s building boom. And, and so as a result of that, he became quite well known, uh, and he'd amassed enough money to... Um, to, to buy his own horse and dray. In 1892, he took a punt, and that was that there was a fellow by the name of David Mitchell, who was a self-made man, a well-known fellow around Melbourne, who'd constructed some of the city's finest addresses, including the exhibition building, uh, who wanted to knock down some shops that he owned in Swanson Street. So he offered the job to Whelan on the basis that he could retain what he demolished, but not get paid anything in actual cash. Uh, so in other words, pull them down, take it away and do what you like with it, but I'm not paying any cash to do it. So that was the offer. I guess that's because in the 1890s Depression, people just didn't have much money, did they? No, they didn't. And that was the secret to where Whelan uh, really cashed in, in the sense that he didn't uh, take the approach knocking things down uh, of hitting them with a great big steel ball. He disassembled them, if you like, took them apart piece by piece, and took the materials to his timber yard, which was in Brunswick, that he set up there, and because there wasn't much money around, there was a big demand in used material. And so this is where his business got started. Uh, I mean, uh, his, his business was called J.P. Wheel and Timber Merchants until really till his death, until when Wheel and the Wrecker was adopted in 1938. Would it be fair to call this Melbourne's first building recycling business then? Yeah, I'm not sure that they would have intentionally used the word recycling or really even understood what it meant. But I think it, it was, and part of that was because of this process, this method of demolishing that uh, Jim Whelan had developed to, uh, the word I use is disassemble rather than smash down. And that created a lot of material that he was able to sell. And, you know, he was a bloke barely able to write his own name who in the middle of a depression was going extremely well because of that and the demand for second-hand goods.
Now, one part of your book that's really interesting is is when he described one of the secrets to his success as his six cats. What did he mean by that? Well, first of all, Jen, the, the cats weren't the four-legged cats that we think of. They were two-legged cats. And these were the blokes who worked their way around the building, climbing up onto the top of brick walls that were tottering, perching at dangerous angles to take down the buildings. And they would literally stand on the top of the brick wall and knock the bricks out from between their feet, which would then fall to the ground, be collected and and taken away. Uh, He had what he called his star cat. He didn't call him one of his cats because Jack Thorpe was the cat. And he was apparently uh, brilliant at what he did. Um, uh, They reckon there was no height that he couldn't reach, no work too hard. There's a beautiful picture of him um, around the place inside a great big uh, um, chimney. You remember the big brick chimneys that used to exist? Mm. And there was Jack at the top uh, with his arm out and a brick in it being (laughs) hurled down below. So his cats were his secret. Uh, he he claimed, and uh, that was part of of how his whole business developed and worked, and that was the style that he developed using them. So it sounds like a pretty dangerous business. Did Whelan himself ever get injured on site? Yes. Um, He already had a bit of a stoop, um, but he was uh, usually... found around the site of a demolition so he stood out as an individual I'm not sure that that necessarily made him a target for falling debris uh, but he certainly copped his share of it. Uh, He had 11 accidents during his wrecking career he fell 35 feet uh, that's 10, nearly 11 metres onto an iron hoarding a brick fell from 45 feet, 13, nearly 14 metres, so that's about four stories, onto his head He was smothered by an avalanche of bricks uh, from a falling wall and his comment on the whole matter when asked about his accident was, ah, it's all in a day's work. (laughs) Now, there were also some pretty well-known buildings that Wheel and the Wrecker was involved in demolishing, weren't there? Yeah, there were. Um, Lots of big buildings in the city which which he became expert at taking down. There were some oddities amongst them. Uh, One was the old MCG scoreboard. Uh, which uh, the company um, uh, took down and took away. Uh, The one that, I guess, um, gets the most interest is the Skipping Girl sign, Uh, the neon sign that used to be the, um, I guess, when we were kids, it was the thing that you wanted to see driving home in the back of the car with mum and dad. Where's the Skipping Girl? She was a neon sign that, you know, I think it's still around. Supposed to be the first neon sign that was ever put up in Melbourne in the 1930s. And it's still a huge landmark in Melbourne, but it's a replica these days. So what happened to the original? Well, um, the the Wheel and Company uh, always, it seems, got the blame for uh, taking it down, taking it away, making it disappear, if you like. We spoke to the Wheel and family about it. And they say, no, we didn't wreck it. We took it down, sure, because it was going to be wrecked, but we then on-sold it. Uh, and it's been recycled, if you like. It's back in business somewhere. So, so what happened in the end? I, I take it the business actually did very well. He was pretty successful, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I think, I think he was successful. He was successful because of the way he operated, the way he demolished things, and the way he treated his workers. I mean, in the 1930s depression, uh, when times were very, very tough, and they reckon one in every three breadwinners in Melbourne was out of work, uh, he kept all his staff. Um, some of the people who'd been with him for a long time, he actually put them up in, in housing. Uh, he made sure that they all survived through the 1930s depression well. And that was reflective, I think, of the way he ran his business. Uh, and so there was a, a great deal of loyalty towards him and, and he thrived that way. I guess if there's an irony about the, uh, the whole Wheel and Clan, 
because the, the family took over after uh, Jim died in 1938. The sons and then their sons took over the business in various forms. If there was an irony, it was that uh, in that uh, period between the wars, if you like, the Melbourne City Council decided that it uh, it wanted all the iron lace work taken off the buildings around town. Their, their suggestion was that the posts on which the verandas and the lace work sat were dangerous for people could walk into them. And so that the, the lace had to go. Uh, much of that iron work was taken away by Wheel and the Wrecker. It was in his yard uh, at Brunswick and... Um, people came and bought it for the front of their houses that were being built in the suburbs. And so uh, the irony of the Whelans who tore so much down was that they sort of accidentally became the vehicle for the recycling of this magnificent ironwork that we see around the suburbs of Melbourne today. So you're talking about areas like sort of Carlton and Fitzroy, that that iron lace work that we still see and love today. Absolutely, yeah, and parts of Turak and parts of Paran and, you know, those sorts of areas. And they were allowed to do that because it was outside that central city area. Yeah, mm. yeah, as I understand it, that was the case. And so they're, they're building, uh, their, uh, their company thrived uh, right through the 60s and 70s until uh, they, they went into voluntary receivership in the 90s. Um, as the company branched out into other you know, areas like the, the, the skips that they have now uh, and so on. And the wheel and the wrecker slogan has sort of become part of our folklore in a lot of ways, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Uh, and when I was a kid, there were all sorts of things said about wheel and the wrecker. Um, there were a lot of jokes about uh, wheel and the wrecker, none of which I can repeat here. <laughs> um, and the name was well known because of the signs and because of the, the marketing uh, that the sons, his three sons who took over the business after he died, um, introduced. I think one of the other things that happened as a result uh, of the publicity of Wheel and the Wrecker was that in both wars, um, servicemen kind of adopted it. And if they came across an area that had been totally devastated, usually an enemy area, the sign would go up, some um, wag would write a sign out, you know, Wheel and the Wrecker was here. <laughs> so so that was part of uh, of. The, uh, the ongoing story or the ongoing effect of, of what Whelan had done and was doing. In the uh, 60s through to the 80s, Wegg, the great cartoonist, William Ellis Green, produced the AFL grand final poster. He was the comic illustrator for the Herald, but he also did uh, the Whelan the Wrecker Christmas cards, which became collectible items. Uh, as a kid, I remember there were two things that you know your, your dad or mum wanted to get. One was a Wheel and the Wrecker Christmas card, and the other was a National Bank calendar. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but they were just two of those collectible things that people like to get their hands on. So, uh, I mean, Jim Whelan and his um, family had a remarkable effect on this town, whether you like it or not. There's even been a song written about Wheel and the Wrecker, hasn't there? There has, uh, and it was done by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in um, 1989, and it was called Wheel and the Wrecker, that's all. Uh, and it was on that um, Road to God Knows Where album that they bought out. Yeah, so he's certainly been a feature in our um, our communities over the years. Mm. And where is James Whelan's gravesite? It's in the Melbourne General Cemetery, and you can find it in uh, the Roman Catholic section, compartment AAW, grave 123. And when you find it, you'll notice that it's got a very subtle little row of bricks <laughs> around the top of it, right where the cats would have stood to knock those bricks down were they demolishing it. And does it by chance say Wheel and the Wrecker was here or something of that type? I thought it would, 
but it doesn't. And I was disappointed when I got there to find it wasn't. But as I say, the bricks are a kind of a little subtle reminder of, of who he was. And it's great that you've been able to speak to the Whelan family as part of your research. What do they have to say about Jim and his legacy? Well, I mean, they're obviously extremely grateful uh, for what he did and the way he did it. And I think it was um, it was just different to the, the way the business had been handled before in, in terms of taking down things rather than, you know, this great smashing ball go through the place and devastate it. These things sort of just slowly disappeared overnight almost. Are any of the wheel and the wrecker signs still around? I've not seen one for years uh, and I don't think there are. I, I mean I don't know whether the Whelan family have got any. Certainly I don't know of any in public places like sometimes things that become a, a part of a city get put in a museum. I, I don't know that there are any, uh, certainly not findable anyway. So what do we know about his personal life? Um, not a lot. Uh, I think um, Jim's personal life was just that, it was personal. Uh, he did however um, during the depression uh, the 1890s depression, that is, uh, marry a lass by the name of Elizabeth White at St Joseph's uh, Catholic Church in Collingwood. Uh, they had five children, three boys and two girls, uh, and that's where the hierarchy of the ongoing uh, Whelan you know, family came from, obviously. Uh, the business was booming at that time. Maybe no one told Jim Whelan the nation was in the midst of a depression. As I said earlier, barely able to write his own name. He managed men and money just naturally, uh, and then developed this style, his own style of demolition as he went. So he must have been quite a popular boss, I imagine. I think he was, and I think that was partly because of the way he, he handled uh, his troops. In the uh, 1930s Depression, uh, the Cats and Jim had a, another depression to get through. Started in 1929, as we know, and, and worsened through the 1930s. Jim was tougher than the slump, um, and he remembered at this time who got him where he was. He was a very successful man in town. One in three workers was out of the job in those days. Many families struggled to survive, but he was a benevolent patriarch who provided members of extended family uh, with jobs and houses, and he kept his workers on right through the 1930s when contracts uh, were pretty hard to come by. Well, thanks for coming in and sharing another fascinating story, Chris. Pleasure, Jen. And if you want to learn more, you'll find a link to a story and photos of Wheel and the Wrecker in the show notes. You can get hold of the Grave Tales Melbourne book, which comes out in May, and the rest of the Grave Tales series from bookstores or at gravetales.com.au. And search for Grave Tales Australia on your favourite podcast app to listen to more great stories from the books as told by Chris and Helen. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, produced by John T. Burton and El Tynan, and edited by Andrea Thies Evanson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on whatever platform you're listening on. And to get notified when each new episode comes out, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. Thank you. 
Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthyish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthyish and Extra Healthyish wherever you get your podcasts.